Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. everyone to another episode of revolution recap another week another frustrating result for the revolution as they walked away with a single point saturday night against columbus the revs appeared to be staging a comeback with goals from dewan jones and adam buxa in the final 20 minutes of the game but eric hurtado scored an equalizer in the 89th minute for columbus ending the game in a 2-2 draw i'm greg johnstone joining me today from the trifecta network it's tanner rebello tanner rebello tanner how are you doing i'm doing well uh you know Tough game for the Revolution, but uh, you know, can't complain personally. Yeah, well, you're. I, I certainly can complain. I think uh, a lot. The Revs have had such a difficult start to the season. I think I was really looking forward to three points today, uh, and it seemed like they were making their way back. It seemed like a game that they might be able to build some momentum and kind of kind of a win that you know is kind of a turning point of the season it was just a really dramatic come from behind game uh and then it all kind of fell apart in the final few minutes so uh, another another frustrating game uh for me personally it felt more like a loss than a draw but tanner um you know that aside uh what was your key takeaway from tonight's game that the revolution didn't have a shot on net until the 67th minute they had two shots on net total they didn't do enough to be dynamic offensively they weren't quick enough I thought the game plan was poor. Um, I think the, the second half adjustments were great. 67th minute, Bruce had to really sort of shuffle the lineup a bit. Uh, you know, he put Matt Polster at center back, took Andrew Farrell out, played Dewan Jones a little bit higher up the field, Brennan by a little bit further back. They were both on the right side. Um, Henry Kessler was sort of playing like center back to the left side of the field. It was unique to see, and they scored two goals with uh, Matt Polster as their center back. The best the team looked all night was with Matt Polster at their center back. That's my biggest takeaway, is that Matt Polster as center back was the best he looked all night. <laughs> yeah, and and uh, you know uh, there's a bit of a asterisk I say because that was when they were pushing up and it seemed like Columbus was pushing back. Uh, but yeah, it, it's it's interesting how I think this game we saw a little bit of good Bruce Arena tactics. Uh, I know he's been taking a lot of heat this season about. Um, you know, making the wrong moves and his tactics being all wrong and not being able to adjust. Uh, but they did a really nice job of adjusting in this game. Uh, he swung Dewan Jones over to the right side. He put uh, Emma Boateng on the left side. He kind of dispensed them both on, um, you know, opposite wings. Uh, and that, that really paid dividends, and they really staged a beautiful comeback there. Uh, it seemed like he really got this offense to click in the final 20, 15 to 20 minutes or so uh, when in the first... 65 minutes it was completely dormant um and i I just want to kind of point out too that carly's heel had a pretty good game uh but only one chance created um and you know i I think without gustavo bo there we got a a listener question that uh and i want to credit whoever sent this oh it was a porter on uh, twitter he says really felt like we missed bo this game uh i think that they lack that kind of secondary threat because when carlos heel has the ball it just seems like teams like columbus are just zoning in on him and they're making you beat beat you another way. They take away the middle of the field. They take away Carlos Hill. Um, and really, the only option the Revs kind of have is going down the wings and crossing inside, which is dangerous for Buxa. But, um, you know, when it's not working, it's not working. So, um, yeah, just a really frustrating first three quarters of the game here offensively for the Revolution. Um, and, uh, yeah, not 
not really thrilled. And I, I think when Gustavo Bell comes back and you have that kind of X factor who can, uh, you know, you have to close him down. You can't give him space to shoot. Um, that's going to open things up for Carlos Hill. Yeah, I think they were missing Bo. I think they were missing that sort of person that's just willing to take a shot. You know, they didn't take a shot. And the shot wasn't on net until the 67th minute. And I think they really did lack that sort of willingness to shoot um, that Bo would provide them. And I think when you're relying on Dewan Jones at Brandon Bay, they were a little too tentative. They didn't really hit that cross right away. And when they were hitting the cross, it wasn't on the money. Uh, I think Boateng, what you saw from him with that cross and Dewan Jones, it was that confidence. It was that decisiveness that he brought to the team. And he hit that ball one time to Dewan Jones at the far post. So, I think you need to see more of that from players like Brandon Bay and even Dewan Jones to a, a point. I know Brandon Bay, one of the plays in the match that he had, that he should have just went to the end line and tried to cross it in, but instead he pulled the ball back and really sort really of stifled the momentum. The Revolutions simply weren't quick enough going against this Columbus team that sort of was content of just sitting back and forcing the Revolution to break them down, and they just that that's a way they're going to get beat going forward too if the Revolution can't learn how to break these teams down. Yeah, and even Carla's heel magic tonight uh, seemed a little bit off. There were a lot of through balls kind of going into the box that were a little bit too far for Duwan, a little bit too far for Brandon Bay. Um, you know, just some through balls that normally are pretty dangerous and set up plays that uh, everything just kind of seemed a little bit off tonight for the Revolution. A very, very frustrating night offensively, at least in the, the first 70th minute uh, until uh, Emma Boateng came in and kind of opened things up uh, for the Revolution. So um, I wanted to touch on something positive, too. Before we get into the negative stuff, uh, but my key takeaway is Adam Buxa deserves a lot of love for the Revolution. He has four goals in four games. Uh, I, I think a lot for Adam Buxa is he needs service, uh, he needs balls in the box, and so when you have a team like Columbus, you know they can kind of take Adam Buxa out of the game by taking out Carly's heel and taking out that service to Buxa. But when he gets the ball, uh, he is very good. A beautiful ball from uh, Sebastian Legette and a perfect header by Adam Buxa today beating Eli Room. Uh, this is his fourth straight game with a goal since the start of the 2021 season uh, when he came in with a lot of pressure after a you know, very unsuccessful 2020 campaign. Tanner, I'm sure you remember a lot of people thought that this guy isn't worth a DP slot. They need to buy him out. They need to sell him. They need to move on from him. Uh, well, then he started the 2021 season. Since then, he scored 20 goals in 2,723 minutes. That is 0.66 goals per 90 minutes. Uh, he has 20 goals in his last 39 games since the start of the 2021 season. That is 0.51 goals per game. Uh, that's not game started. That is just per game for appearance. Uh, by comparison, Taylor Twelman has 0.058. Gustavo Bo has 0.45. Joe Max Moore has 0.43. Uh, so, you know, Adam Buxa, since the beginning of the 2021 season, has been a pretty elite goal scorer for the Revolution. Uh, overall, if you want to add in 2020 numbers, when he had a bad season, he had some bad luck off of the posts. Uh, he has 0.55 goals per 90 minutes uh, and 26 goals in 62 games. And this is just MLS regular season. I am not including postseason. Uh, I am not including uh, US Open Cup, which he's not played in. I am not including uh, the Champions League, in which he scored two goals against Pumas. Uh, but he scored 26 MLS regular season goals in 62 games. That is 0.42 goals per game. Uh, so he's very close to Joe Max Moore's 0.43, which is third in team history. Uh, so Adam Buxa, you know, a lot of times he's taken out of the game. It seemed like he was a little bit, um, you know, dormant today uh, in, in the first 70 minutes when they weren't getting him service. But when he is getting service, uh, he is converting his chances uh, and he is in peak form right now. 
Uh, and, you know, a lot has been made about whether or not he is coming or going, uh, you know, obviously with his status in the Polish national team. Um, you know, Seth McComer did some digging. He found a report that said Adam Buxa has a three-year contract with a one-year team option, which means that Revs do have a team option for him next year. I think if you're the revolution, unless you get a, I mean, I know his asking price is $10 million, but I, I think that price might be going up because, I don't know if you can sell him. If you want to be an MLS contender, I think you're going to need that piece of the puzzle because I'm not sure Josie Altador can replace that production right now. And I think Adam Books is becoming an elite goal scorer in this league. Yeah, I don't even know how controversial that is. I think he is an elite goal scorer in this league already. Um, and Jose Altador cannot match that production. I mean, we haven't really seen Jose at his best. He only had 10 touches in 23 minutes tonight. was really invisible off the bench and... You know, we don't really know what he looks like at 100%, but I think the reality is if you transfer Adam Books out in the summer window, you can kiss competing for an MLS playoff spot goodbye for this year. I, there's no way you're going to be able to replace that. Or even if you bring in a DP this summer, right, if you have an incoming DP to replace Adam Books, it's tough to expect that player to acclimate quick enough to Major League Soccer play and also your team to then get to that production level either. So I think if you're the revolution, you're going to want to hold on to Adam Buxa for the remainder of the year and then maybe look to move him out. And if you pick up his option, then move him out at the end of this year. Because um, I think if you move him out in the summer, you pretty much are waving the white flag on this season. And to be honest, they might be doing that already. I haven't seen much out of this team to tell me they're going to be a playoff team this year yet. They certainly have the talent to do so. But certainly, I think Adam Buxa is really critical. The fact that he's been able to score without Gustavo Bo, without really any other player around him taking the scoring pressure off of him, he's getting a lot of attention from defenses, but the fact that he's able to overcome that and find the back of the net, I think has been one of the more impressive things out of him. And the, they said on the broadcast, the revs are first in headed shots this season. A lot of that's Adam Buxa. I think if you take away the aerial threat of Adam Buxa, uh, boy, that, that really takes away what seems to be at times this team's bread and butter. So um, yeah, I, I, I think, I think a lot of people expect him to be sold in the summer. Uh, I think if you're the revolution, you either got to have a very high sale price that that price is either going up or you are going to arrange kind of a, a Tejon deal where uh, you agree to sell at, you know, at some point in the summer, but you agree to sell at the end of the season um, post-World Cup. Um, maybe, maybe that's in the works, but uh, I, I think we came into the season thinking it's a foregone conclusion that, that Buxa is not here long, similar to Matt Turner. Uh, but I think he is too valuable for this team to lead, you know, get rid of anytime soon. So, um, Tanner, you know, uh, we wanted to start with... Kind of some positives, kind of kind of some other things, because there is one big elephant in the room and his name is Omar Gonzalez. Uh, Omar Gonzalez came in late in this game uh, to kind of see it out. The Revs took a 2-1 lead. Uh, they had taken off Andrew Farrell for an offensive substitution uh, they, for, for Josie Altador at some point. I believe it was Josie Altador. They took off, uh, they took off Rivera and Farrell for Altador and Boateng, I believe, at the same time. So they had one center back in the game. They had Polster playing uh, as a center back, as you mentioned earlier, and they decided to put on Omar Gonzalez. And sure enough, uh, Omar Gonzalez's man who he was defending scores in the 89th minute. Uh, it was not a good look for Omar Gonzalez, who continues his struggles this season. Uh, we have a handful of questions, uh, but I am going to start here with O Dragon Slayer on Discord. Uh, he says, Arena feels like he's trying to make a point with Omar why uh, he doesn't deserve to wear our colors. He's always been terrible, and tonight Bruce cost us the game by putting him in. It was a useless substitution. So uh, harsh, uh, you know, <laughs> criticism aside, I don't think I go too as far uh, uh, with some of those comments. But 
I, I think it's worth uh, bringing up the question if you agree or disagree with Bruce's decision to bring on Omar Gonzalez tonight. I agree with his decision to do it. I think if you look at it, you score in the 82nd minute, you take a one-goal lead at home, you look to bring on a defensive substitution, and you look at your bench, and the fact is you had Matt Pulser at center back, so you really wanted to bring in another center back there and go to more of a traditional setup. Um, and if you looked at your bench, you would have looked at it and said, well, John Bell isn't available, Omar Gonzalez is. Omar Gonzalez has a lot of experience, both in Major League Soccer, on the international stage. You put him in and you're paying him, you know, what probably is a considerable amount of money as well. So, you know, I don't blame Bruce for making the substitution. I, I think it is a tall ask to ask Omar Gonzalez to be in that spot. He hasn't had a lot of success this year. He has really no confidence, and I don't think he had any confidence going into this game. So I think it's a tough spot for Omar Gonzalez, but I don't blame Bruce for making the sub because it makes sense logically to do it. I agree with everything you said. And the other thing, too, that I, I think I I feel Omar is, I mean, I know Sean has hit on this a million times, that he's very slow, and he doesn't work in a uh, four-man back line. And I think Omar Gonzalez, the, the place where you want him is, you know, you're taking off an offensive player, and you're putting on Omar in a five-man back line. You have a, a more more defensive bodies, and you're parking the bus. Um, and, you know, I think we saw earlier in the season Andrew Farrell, you know, one thing he does well is recover for players uh, and, and recover for when, when a defender misses something or when someone's a little bit too slow. Andrew Farrell has good recovery defense and good, you know, emergency defense. Uh, Henry Kessler, I, in my opinion, isn't as good as that. And I, I think that Omar Gonzalez and Andrew Farrell is probably a little bit more of a better pairing than um, Omar Gonzalez and Henry Kessler. That just seems to be too slow of a pairing for me. Um, I think Omar Gonzalez paired with anyone really is a little too slow, but... Um, I think it was just we saw the Omar Gonzalez John Bell pairing not really work, and John Bell was fine last year as a backup center back, and it just seemed like he didn't really work well with with Omar Gonzalez. So I think you had to play Omar Gonzalez for all the reasons you said. It's a personnel issue. John Bell wasn't available tonight. You have no other center backs available tonight. If you want to put on a center back, you have to go with Omar Gonzalez. So the question of are you, do you want to put on another center back makes a lot of sense. The answer is obviously yes. Um, but Omar Gonzalez has had such a rough spell. The last time we saw him, he was being pulled at halftime. Um, I think David Civilian said on Twitter, you know, it was the right move, but it's it's not the best personnel. Uh, and I think that's the best way to put it, where, you know, I don't think Bruce had an option. I think Bruce had to put on Omar and hope for the best. Um, and it just did not work. Yeah, I'm curious to know what or what Bruce thought, really, of Omar Gonzalez last year with Toronto, because he wasn't very good with them. Um, so I don't know what they really thought they were going to get out of him. And this is the case where Bruce, the you know, the sporting director, is impacting Bruce, the coach, right? When you look at that bench and you see Zomar Gonzalez, he really didn't have a choice tonight, unfortunately. Uh, and I think when Omar Gonzalez was brought in, one of the thoughts that we had was, yeah, the three center back playing all together. Um, just based on what Omar had done with Toronto, there really wasn't an expectation that he'd be playing key moments for you. Uh, and, and I think when they brought off, I, you know, you look at it and you're like, they brought off Andrew Farrell because they were chasing a goal at home. Makes sense. You brought like so everything made sense. I thought from the way Bruce approaches substitutions tonight, but it ultimately Omar Gonzalez is not good enough to play in Major League Soccer anymore. I, I don't know what he gives you, and maybe it is. Yeah, you have to play him with two other center backs for him to be useful for you. But you know, you're likely spending a lot of money on him in terms of salary, and I think it could be used elsewhere. Um, you know, it's certainly a questionable roster move for Bruce Arena. And there's still time, obviously, for 
Omar Gonzalez to show that he's a capable player in this league. But last year in Toronto, you didn't see it. And now to start with the revolution, you didn't see it. So it's a tough one. Yeah, I, I think the the signing of Omar Gonzalez certainly is to be questioned more and more each time we see him. Uh, and, you know, I, I try not to slam players too much to say, you know, they don't belong on the team or they don't deserve to be on the team. But I, I really – I'm not sure we've seen a positive game from Omar Gonzalez. And it's it's very, very frustrating uh, to see it time and time again. So um, we did get a qu- uh, comment here from Chris Johnson on Twitter. He said, Arena always has kept defenders. He knows uh, on the pitch too long. Uh, one of his major flaws is coach. And we're seeing it here with Omar. Uh, and again, maybe that's sporting director Bruce bringing down Coach Bruce, as you said. I, I like that as well. Um, we did get a handful of questions from Dewan Season, Josh Nye, Matthew Korzak asking, why is Omar in New England still? Uh, we're getting a few of those people that uh, are ready to see Omar Gonzalez leave uh, sooner rather than later. We don't know his contract number yet, so we don't know uh, if this is an okay contract or a bad contract. Uh, doesn't take an international roster spot, but um, Tanner, I mean, in your opinion, do you think the Revs need an upgrade at center back? Uh, do you think Omar is going to ride it out? Do you think John Bell might come back and replace uh, Omar as the third center back? Uh, what do you think is the long-term plan here? Nothing from Omar Gonzalez gives me any confidence that he can really t- right the ship. You know, at this stage in his career, I just don't see it. And I think if you're looking at him and saying, well, he might work as a three center back pairing, well, you really need someone that can replace Farrell or Kessler if they get injured. And they don't really have that option. So, Look, John Bell, I thought last year was really good as the backup center back. So I think if you're comfortable with John Bell being in that role, I think you're good going forward. But then you look at, okay, what if something drastic happens like we had earlier this season and Farrell and Kessler go down? Then you look at it and say, well, you're going to need another center back. So I think it's fair to look at this and really say, all right, you might have to do an interleague trade or something like that to bring in another center back. Agree 100%. And, and I want to also mention one more comment here. We got a million uh, Omar Gonzalez comments, so I'm going to try to run through these as quick as I can. But uh, Seamus Magoo did say, uh, so with Bell out injured, we effectively have no backup center backs, uh, which again, harsh on Omar, but I got to say, I think it's a little bit fair. So um, yeah, I, I mean, there's a really big depth problem at center back. It was there last year, but John Bell was able to hold his own. Um, and it's somehow gotten worse with the addition of Omar Gonzalez this year. So I'd be curious to see if John Bell, when he comes back, if he is moves up over Omar Gonzalez uh, in the depth chart, if he's making the 18 instead of Omar Gonzalez, but uh, we will find out. Um, also, it should be noted that Sam Minton asked in the post-game presser, uh, the thought process behind bringing Omar Gonzalez on. Uh, sources have told me that Sam Minton got a very uh, strong Bruce Arena stare uh, at that question. Uh, Bruce Arena did not like that question too much. Uh, but Bruce said that, uh, quote, you're at the end of the game. You have a goal lead. You went from three to a back four. Common sense, safety. It shouldn't backfire the way it did. So there's a reason for that, uh, as in the sub. So that kind of echoes what we said. Tanner, you know, just trying to go from a three-man back line to a four-man back line, kind of moving Polster back into kind of his normal position, a little bit more structured, uh, and it just backfired. So um, Oscar asked us on Twitter if Bruce does Bruce refuse to accept his mistake in picking up Gonzalez uh, showed up to give up the goal, uh, which again, we kind of talked about probably not a good addition uh, in the off season. I, I think Bruce is starting to realize that Omar Gonzalez is kind of, uh, you know, not turning out. Well, I, I think he kind of regrets that decision. Um, and anything else to add on that? We've kind of covered that a little bit. Yeah, I'm sure he regrets his decision, but also I think he looks at it and says, we're, you know, 10 games in or so, and there's a lot to be played here. And 
you know, maybe he thinks maybe you can get something out of Omar Gonzalez and that he'll rebound. But I, I don't know. It's tough to say that, right? Like, and I think Bruce also looks at his bench tonight and was kind of forced into making that decision, like we said. So it's a tough one because I think Bruce had his hands tied, and again, Bruce the general manager tied the hands of Bruce the coach. Um, I, I wish there was a better center back signing in the off season, uh, but it is what it is. So uh, we have uh, some other questions here. We've kind of covered a little bit, but Tristan Price. Uh, says, can you simultaneously give Coach credit for a formation switch that produces two goals and also criticize him for going back to the previously bad formation and adding in worse defenders? Uh, I, I think we've done that. I think we, we've given a lot of credit for his uh, changes in the 70th minute. Uh, I know a lot of people are going to criticize the Omar Gonzalez sub. Uh, again, I think that was a good substitution with not good personnel. Um, so I, I've criticized Bruce's tactics a lot this season. I think today... He got most of his decisions correct, uh, but I certainly understand the criticism from people who want to uh, criticize it. Uh, Andrew asked this question, why is Bruce subbing on Omar to lock out the game? Uh, he had great subs with Boateng and Josie to grab the winner, but we throw it away with Omar coming on. Why force on one of the worst center backs and leave? Omar must have blackmail on Bruce at this point. Paulo also says Bruce got it wrong with some of the subs tonight. He disagrees with us. John Pilkington, what is it going to take for us to never see Omar again? Should I just turn off the TV or leave when he takes the field? No, don't turn off the TV, John. You don't know if the game's going to end in a draw or a, a loss. You know, it's if we have a one-goal lead, you know, there's still one point up in the air. I don't know what it's going to take for him to leave the Revs. Um, I don't know if they could – because I can't imagine there is a trade market for this point. Um, and who knows if he has a one-year contract or a two-year contract, God forbid – uh, but uh, I would imagine he's going to stay on the roster throughout the remainder of the year, unless it's a salary dump type move, because uh, there's no uh, roster rule benefit to buying out Omar Gonzalez. His salary still counts against the cap, so there isn't going to be much of a chance for him to leave the team. Am I right with that, Tanner? If you could pay someone to take him off your roster, I think you'd do it, but I, I just don't know if there's going to be a team that's willing to do it. Maybe a team that's not going to be competitive and will be willing to take on salary to, you know, if you give willing to give him something in addition to that. But I think Omar Gonzalez is going to be on this roster for the entirety of the year, unfortunately. And and for context, Dom Dwyer, Toronto traded Dom Dwyer to Dallas, and they they added the number three pick in last year's Super Draft to take Dom Dwyer. And Dom Dwyer was on a very low salary. I think he was like on an eighty or ninety thousand dollars salary. I imagine Omar Gonzalez is at more than that. Um, so I mean. I'm, I would just rather ride out Omar Gonzalez uh, or, or buy him out next offseason than trade like a first round super draft pick to, to get him off your books. It, and, unless there's a scenario where you think by clearing up that space, you can acquire something that's going to help you compete for an MLS Cup this year, then I wouldn't do it. But if there's that opportunity that somehow you think it puts you over the top by acquiring a player with that money, maybe you do it. But yeah, it's hard to envision that. I, yeah, his se- I mean, you'd have to be out of senior roster spots. And even then, yeah, I, I feel like you'd have much more of a chance of trading Brad Knighton or Earl Edward. You know, there, there's got to be someone else easier to move where you don't have to make a, cut him or I guess you could just cut him and, and you know, have it count against the cap and, and free up the, the roster spot. But uh, and, and I think that's what they did with Gabriel Somi. Um, they cut him midseason. And, and so they had to pay out his full salary. But um, yeah, 
I, I would imagine Omar Gonzalez is staying on the roster, but maybe his playing time will be diminished. Uh, and then Mike Kennedy says, is Omar Gonzalez uh, subverting the revs from the inside? Uh, okay, but really, why bring him on, uh, in if these uh, mental or positional mistakes keep happening over and over and over? What does he have on Bruce? Just frustrated these mental mistakes are costing points. Uh, and again, we kind of covered this a little bit, but I did, I did tweet, uh, how do we know that Omar Gonzalez is not an inside agent for TFC? Do we, TFC in the MLS standings is... Uh, you know, they're tied with the Revs right now, so maybe I mean, maybe, maybe he's a double agent here. I think he's trying his best to his ability. <laughs> uh, Gustavo Lopez also said, how much of this is Bruce's fault? We did get a comment from Cody Hall who said 49% he signed and played Omar, uh, despite plenty of evidence to date that he would do exactly what he did tonight. Uh, but Omar probably keeps saying he can do better. Uh, I, I think that's fair. I think you can blame Bruce, the GM. I don't think you can blame Bruce, the coach, too much for putting him on. I don't think Bruce, the coach, had any options tonight um, unless they, as I say, like they don't even really have like a big body, like midfield, like a Wilfred Zahibo type to kind of maybe move back and kind of shift back to the, the center back position. I guess you could have stuck with Polster back there, but um, I think that's a lot to ask Polster. And, you know, if you're not going to put Omar Gonzalez in that 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 spot right there, um, there's not a whole lot of reasons why you should be carrying him in the 18. So the third best center back on the roster tonight was Matt Polster, which I think I think that says something. But I think if you're going to look at that move in the 84th minute and what else could you do instead of that, maybe it's Maciel. That's the only option I could think that maybe you can sort of slot him in and go more defense, add another defensive midfielder to the mix and. But still, it doesn't make sense. You'd bring on a center pack when you have the lead. So, Yeah, your only other defenders in this game. I guess you could have brought on A.J. De La Garza. Could have. Um, yeah, you had Spalding uh, as a left back. Yeah, I, uh, I'm i at a loss for words. I, I, I don't – I think Bruce – that was the move he had to make, and it was just not a good move. He didn't have any good cards to play in that situation, so – uh, Tanner, we've been overwhelmingly negative. Uh, is there anything positive you want to talk about before we move on to uh, some other listener questions? Yeah, I, Emma Boateng to me was a game changer, and he's been a game changer. He's a super sub for this team. He was it last year, and he is it this year as well. Um, you know, the second he came on the field, you just saw his decisiveness. He was quick. He was smart. Um, you know, had that great ball into Dewan Jones. I, he's just a leader for this team, and he, he really is great off the bench. You you saw it the second he came in the game. The team got its first shot on goal a couple minutes later. It, you know, to me, he was the best attacking player tonight. Yeah, and you you mentioned you know how quick his the response time was for him coming into this game. From the time he was subbed on to the goal was four minutes. And this is a team that did absolutely nothing in the first seventy minutes of this game. So, um, you know, I know there was a lot of people that wanted Emma Boateng to start. Um, I, I still think that he is your most impactful sub, your your most impactful spark off the bench. Uh, and I love the fact that I, I feel like with Boateng and Jones on the left side, it, they almost, I don't say get in each other's way, but I feel like there's the, the speed is a lot more useful when they're occupying different sides of the field. So I think that Bruce moving Dewan to the right wing back and playing Emma as a left wing back spot was really, really effective. And I don't think they're going to start with that formation. So um, I, I think that Emma Boateng is just such an impactful sub off the bench. And maybe he, he should be getting more minutes. Maybe you should be bringing him in the 60th minute instead of the 70th minute. Um, I mean, I, I'm splitting hairs at this point. But uh, yeah, I, I, Emma Boateng is... I mean, they're they're really getting a lot of value out of him because... Sometimes this offense is just running in place uh, and he's able to kind of unlock everything. So uh, 
Also, another positive here, Tanner, that we were talking about pre-show that I think should be worth noting is that this is the second time this season the Revs have had back-to-back games with points. Uh, They won last week. They've tied this week. First time they've done that since the first two games of the season. Uh, Technically, that is a positive. So good for the Revs. Yeah, the way I would spin it, it's momentum. Right. It's an opportunity for momentum. It had been nice to get a back to back win for the first time this year tonight. But that didn't happen. But at least they're building momentum going forward. It's so weird to say they haven't won back to back games this season, but they've only won three games. They've won three games in in, uh, 10 matches played. Um, It is a very bizarre season compared to last year when just everything seemed to be going right they weren't making mistakes they were winning games every game you expected to win um and yeah yet to win back-to-back games so i know we were talking about positives ended up being a negative but uh we can we can yeah a little bit of momentum going into the u.s open cup against fc cincinnati maybe maybe uh i guess it won't be three wins in a row but maybe three remotely positive results going in a row momentum right yes um (laughs) um tanner you know what else i have one more positive i want to talk about that is that you can save 15% off your order at Galasso Kits by using promo code REVSRECAP. That is right. Galasso Kits, our sponsor, their mission is to bring unique vintage jerseys to your home and with a catalog of jerseys, jackets, scarves, and more from clubs and national teams from over 80 countries in the world. Uh, they have some Revolution merch. They have teams from all across MLS, all across Europe, every national team. Uh, get ready for the World Cup later this year by checking out Galasso kits and buying some merch for your closet. And if you're not sure what you want, you can check out their mystery kit packages where you can enter in the size and the style of jersey that you like, and Galasso will surprise you with the kit of your dreams. So go check out GalassoKits.com for their full selection and make sure you follow them at Galasso Kits on Twitter and Galasso Kits on Instagram. They post weekly with new updates to their inventory. And when you find something you like, use promo code REVSRECAP. To save 15% off your order, that is promo code REVSRECAP at GalassoKits.com for 15% off your order. Links and code are in the show notes. Tanner, let's get to some negatives. Do you have uh, any other negatives we haven't touched on today? Or was Omar Gonzalez the only bad player on the pitch today? <laughs> uh, I thought there was ineffective players on the pitch. I thought Ozzy Altador off the bench um, was largely ineffective. Only 10 touches in 23 minutes. I know Bruce says he's not at 100% yet, but... We haven't really seen anything out of Jose Altador that tells you he's going to be an effective player um, for the Revolution this year. Obviously, it's tough to say that without knowing what he look like at 100%, but let's say he's at 80% right now. I'd, I don't know. I, I haven't seen much out of him that tells me that he's going to be able to replace Adam Buxa. In fact, I haven't seen enough out of him that tells me he's a good backup striker. In fact, I would say Justin Rennick should be playing over him as striker. Uh, that that I'm not too far off from that take. I think they bring different things, but I they really do. like but. I really like little things that Justin Rennicks does. I, I I I this might be a hot take. I feel like the Revs kind of miss a Teal Bunbury type of forward that like gets involved in the press, um, hustles, kind of does some of the dirty work, and, and Justin Rennicks does a little bit of that. Um, Adam Buxa does that a little bit too, uh, but in a different way. Um, I, I think Josie Altador is really a guy that should be coming on for Adam Buxa uh, and kind of poaching some goals. Um, but outside of that, he doesn't really add a ton. So outside of the final 15, 20 minutes of the game, when you need a goal, um, you know, 
I don't really trust Josie Altador to go a full 90 minutes, especially if you're pairing him up with Adam Books. I think I've said it a million times. Like, I think that's just a pairing that there's not enough speed. They're not going to press very well. Um, I'd rather see Renix out there. Um, so, yeah, no, I agree with you 100% there that I was a little surprised to see Renix drop from the 18. Um, but I guess based on the personnel available, uh, it, it was for the best. But, um, yeah, and we did get a question here, too. Jesse Mark says, my question is, what's the point of playing Josie Altidore? He seems completely out of the flow on offense and lacks mobility to offer anything in defense. I, I agree with that statement. Um, I, I think in tonight, there is a reason for it where you need a goal, so you're going to put on another forward. You're going to put on another guy that can baggy a goal, uh, and that's Josie Altidore. That's the guy who's available. Um, but ultimately... Uh, I'm I'm still underwhelmed by Josie Altador, and I know there's the caveat of well he's not up to 100%. We're going to see more from him in the future, um, but I'm yet I, I, I'm I'm jury is still out. But I am not having major expectations that we will ever see Josie Altador score seven goals in the season for for the Revolution. Yeah, and I think you hit the nail on the head. They really are missing like that Teal Bunbury player. Teal would, you know be dynamic offensively. He had that pace again and behind, but he'd also be willing to walk, work back defensively as well and add really another layer. You're right in saying that Ozzy Altador pretty much brings the same skills essentially as Adam Buxa and Justin Reddick's would have been a change of pace. So it's it's weird to figure out how do they work together, Buxa and Altador, and I don't think they're meant to, which is really concerning when you start to think, okay, if Buxa stays, what is Altador's role? Is his role just off the bench in these moments or when Buxa doesn't start, which you'd always want him to start? So that's another one of those offseason moves you're still scratching your head about. Yep. Yep. And again, I think that's a three-year contract. Maybe there's a long game here. I'm willing to give that one time and milk that one out a little bit. Um, and I, I think that's insurance for if Adam Buxa leaves. But as I say right now, I'm, that's still a bit of a head scratcher for me. He's a great backup striker, but man, he's on a big contract. And again, we don't know how much TFC is paying for it. They're paying for a portion. We don't know how much. Maybe the Revs are getting a, you know 95% of that contract paid, but uh, yet to pay dividends in my, in my mind. Uh, so uh, one other negative I wanted to talk about today, and I don't want to really hammer this one home too much, but it seemed like Brandon and I had a really weird game, a lot of really simple mistakes. Um, and the first goal looked like he didn't step up uh, and pressure uh, whoever that was carrying the ball. I think it was Santos. Um, I, I think uh, Legette comes over to tackle him, and, and it looks like Bai should step up and trap, uh, and, and he doesn't. He kind of gives him a lane, and Polster kind of misses the tackle, and that eventually leads to the first goal. Um, there are a couple of plays where um, there was one one time someone slid the ball over to him on the right wing. He had all the space in the world. The ball just kind of glanced off his foot and went out for a throw-in. Um, there were some plays where, you know, he just didn't make the run for through balls. Um, made some really bad passes. There was one point in the 62nd minute I noticed. It was a worst pass of the night. He's just on the side. He's centering the ball to Polster and kind of passes it directly to a Columbus crew player. Um, there were four or five mistakes tonight from Brandon By that seemed really out of character. And I don't think he was the most glaringly erroneous player on the pitch tonight and i think overall he's a very good player he gives you good performances most of the time but um, sometimes he has a really really just awful game where he doesn't seem very much into it uh and i, I think tonight was one of those nights so i don't think that's a long-term issue i think he just had a bad night uh but i i don't want this podcast to go without us with at least without me saying you know brandon by uh seemed a little off tonight i think statistically if you look at it brandon by played okay actually i just looked at the numbers quickly i think but the eye test does tell you he had some some weird moments i thought um you know there was one moment 
early on where he sort of misplayed the ball and the defender got behind him and didn't score in that moment, but um, sort of a weird play to let the guy get behind him. Then that play that you mentioned, Sebastian Legette pressures and Bernabai has roughly 20 yards in front of him. And he just concedes that space, which allowed Columbus to get on the, you know, the break into the goal there. And then there was a couple moments offensively where he should just went to the end line and sent in the cross, but instead he decided to cut the ball back and move the ball backwards instead of making that quick play. And that sort of was one of the reasons why the Revolution were ineffective offensively is because they were just taking too long and not being quick about it. Um, so I, I think statistically, Brandon By had an okay game, but there's a couple moments with the eyes as the distance uh, passed the test. Yeah, I, I appreciate you mentioning that uh, moment in the 10th minute where the crew, it was really the first big chance of the game. Uh, they they kind of break him down the sideline and it leads to a shot over the bar. Uh, it seemed like in the first half too, the crew, when they were countering, they were going at Brandon By a little bit. They were attacking the wings um, and, and Brandon By just, I don't know, some something kind of seemed a little bit off with him tonight. But if you look at the stats, amazing game for Brandon By. 84% pass accuracy, three chances created, 94 touches, four for four on dribbles, apparently. Um, he was dispossessed four times. Uh, but uh, he was seven for 11 on ground duels and six for eight on aerial duels. So um, that is an amazing stat line for a guy that I did not think was that impressive tonight and had some um, kind of real mental lapses to the point where I, I was wondering if he was sick or something. Um, I don't know. Really, maybe I'm alone on this one. Uh, but uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I wasn't impressed with Brandon by, but apparently his stats are pretty good. So maybe I'm, I'm underrating his performance tonight, but um yeah. So anyway, let's get to some uh, listener questions. It's getting close to midnight. It's getting close to my bedtime, Tanner. So let's hop into some of these listener questions uh, before we call it a night. Ryan says uh, it was a lackluster performance until Legette helped Buxa with the goal. Then all help broke loose uh, when thou who shall not be entered took the field. Uh, we should have had three points and not just one. Uh, we also got another question or not really a question, but a, a listener comment here. Uh, the ceiling of this team could be so much higher if we had an elite number six. No need for DP number uh, DP money when looking uh, at Jao Paulo, uh, who is a TAM player at Seattle. T-Mac is good, but need a better option uh, that could make everywhere else work easier. Uh, what are your thoughts on that, Tanner? Do you think they need to go out and get a number six to pair with Matt Polster? Look, I'm going to be honest. I don't know what this team looks like. And I don't think anyone knows what this team looks like. Because you don't know what this team's going to look like when Matt Turner departs, when Gustavo Bo comes in, when Dylan Barreo arrives. There's a lot of questions we have with this team. And I think it's hard to say, yeah, you need a six. Like, I don't know if that's going to be the issue, right? If this team's scoring offensively, this team's going to run away with it. But that's been the issue. Up until this game, they had been creating their chances and not been converting them. This game, they just had a failure of creating chances. It was a really good tactical approach by Caleb Porter and the Columbus crew. Let's give them credit there. But I don't think this team needs a big move. I think it's you got to figure out what you have to begin with. And that's tough to do, 10 games in. But we don't know what this team is. And I'm also going to say, I think I'd like to see a little bit more of Masiel too. I'm sure when Masiel gets healthy, I'd like to see him pair with Polster for one game. Um, I think that defensive midfield position is a little thin. Um, I, I think Tommy Mack was fine tonight. I know a lot of people don't like him. I know a lot of people don't want him starting. But if Masiel turns out to be a reliable starter and Tommy Mack is your backup six, I don't hate that. Uh, so, yeah, um, I... I the list is getting long. I will say that. Uh, so I don't know where it is on the list of priorities, but um, yeah, midfield too. It seems like they have a ton of options, but no perfect 
option for Matt Polster. So, uh, but but good point. I think there's a lot to be determined between now and the tra- the summer transfer window because do you change your formation when Barrero comes in? Is he an automatic starter? A lot of people compare him to Tejon. You know, Tejon's age 20 season, he had 400 minutes and two assists. He wasn't an impact player. Um, so, you know, maybe Barrero comes in and needs a lot more seasoning uh, before he hops in and, and plays day one. So, um, you know, that's a big question mark on, on how that's going to look. Is Adam Buxa sold for $15 million or $12 million? You know, I, I don't think he will be, but if he does, that changes everything. So, um, yeah, it, it's going to be interesting to see where the priorities lie in the summer transfer window. But right now with this roster, I wish there was a better option to play with Matt Polster. I'll say that. Um, anything to add before I move on? No, I, I agree. Um, but I just think it's not a priority for this team. Uh, David Civilian asks us, it kind of similar to this question, uh, Dylan Barrero is not going to fix this defense. The Revs must look for an upgrade somehow. What are the options? International MLS trade, question mark. Um, I would guess your best option is somewhere in MLS. I don't know the number of international roster spots they have. I think that depends on whether or not Maciel is an international player or not, and I feel like that's disputed. Um, but, uh, even if they did have an international roster spot, it's tough to bring in someone, get them caught up to speed. Um, there is a transition period with MLS. So I think the best way to do it, uh, is to go scourge, you know, find a team that's in the basement in MLS, uh, and make a trade, try to give them an asset, try to give them some gam, uh, maybe give them a super draft pick, uh, give them something and pluck a, a quality defender to back up, uh, po- uh, 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 not Polster, uh, Farrell and uh, Henry Kessler. I, I think that is the best route to go. Uh, Tanner, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I agree. I think MLS is the route to go. I think you look to bring in a center back, and I think you look to bring in potentially a defensive midfielder or even an attacking midfielder. Um, the reason why I say that, right, like Massiel could slot in and then maybe Tommy Mack was off the bench. So you really don't know there. I guess it depends on how high you're on uh, Massiel, but I think, MLS is going to be the way to go, and I think that's Bruce knows that. Like you make international acquisitions in the off season, this isn't the time to do it. Um, so I think MLS will be the way to go. Quick uh, question here, Tanner, because I know you are uh, probably the best guy to ask about Revs two. Is there anyone at Revs two that you think might be someone that they should consider moving up and signing to an MLS contract? Again, they would need a, a, a supplemental roster spot. I need to double check to see if they have one. But hypothetically, if they did have one. Uh, is there someone who is available at Revs 2 that you think might be able to kind of fill a depth slot for them? Uh, maybe a Michael DeShields or Sean O'Hearn or someone like that. I, I, Sean O'Hearn's rights are with TFC, but you get my point. Any, anyone that, that might uh, be ready to make the jump? Honestly, no. I think um, Marcos Diaz, who would need an international roster slot, actually. I've only seen you know 45 minutes from him. He played, made his debut for Revs 2 last weekend but what i saw out of him immediately i think his talent is going to be major league soccer i think he's way above mls next pro um just in those 45 minutes i could tell this guy is going to be a force and could be an impact in major league soccer the reality is that you need to open up an international slot and all those things to bring him in i think other than that you have a lot of academy players who maybe down the road could be an impact but i just don't see anyone that's ready to jump in and help this mls side at the moment unfortunately uh, yeah, and, and that's a tough spot to to get into, bringing someone up to MLS and throwing them in right away. I know a lot of people want uh, to see Noel Buck uh, come in and, and make an appearance. And, you know, it's just really hard when you have a very young player who's getting accustomed to the league, even if the talent is there, 
uh, it's really tough to kind of throw them into a situation where you need to save the season. Uh, That's a really tough position for young players to be in. So it will be interesting. We we did get a comment pregame from Teal Forever uh, who who wants us to take a minute on this week's show to appreciate how well Revolution 2 are doing uh, and what it means for the club going forward. Tanner, uh, as I say, you're one of the few guys that is a beat guy for Revolution 2. Uh, You cover them inside and out. Uh, talk about Revs too, uh, and how well they're doing this season. Yeah, they're undefeated. Uh, unlike the first team, they have a backbone, <laughs> which is a little <laughs> strong to say, but this is a team that's able to come back in games, see it out. Um, they're not concede goals in the final 15 minutes, which is played the first team. They don't have Omar Gonzalez on their team. No, I think it's a positive for them. Uh, Jacob Jackson's been, uh, really excellent in my opinion. Uh, big shot stopper obviously was the first round pick for the revolution, um, makes big shots. He's looking to distribute the ball. i uh, been very impressed with him. Uh, ben Ravino, who was the second round pick for the Revs, he's had some issues at center back. I think he's still adjusting. Um, but, you know, uh, Jack uh, Panatu, I, I definitely mispronounced his last name, but he's looked really good. Uh, Revs Academy player. Uh, Esmir's looked really good in the midfield. He was called up to the uh, U.S. youth national team for their training camp. Um, like I said, Marcos Diaz has looked good. Ryan Lima's looked good. Um, so they get a lot of really good players, I think, for Revs too, and you know they've been excellent to start the year. But wins and losses do not matter for this level. It's all about the development of players, and I think if the Revolution can sign one or two players out of this team this year, I think that's a win. Um, whenever you can advance players, right? Um, I think that's really important. Well, and, and they've had three in two seasons with Spalding, uh, with John Bell, uh, and with Maciel. And you might say, well, none of those guys are high-impact guys, and that, that's true. But they're filling supplemental roster spots. Uh, they're filling out spots on the 18. Um, you know, that's important uh, when you're able to bring in a guy on a, uh, you know, team-friendly contract by promoting them from Revs 2. Uh, and then you don't have, you know, you can promote John Bell instead of re-signing, you know, Michael Mancien and De La May and saving all that money and, and saving international roster spots. It gives your teams a lot more flexibility for the top end of the roster uh, when you can go out and be a little more aggressive uh, at, at signing free agents and using GAM and TAM uh, and, and international spots elsewhere. So, um, you know, even if they aren't superstars, even if they're just depth pieces, um, there's a massive benefit and it's helped the team so far. Uh, and, you know, as you say, if there is someone, Marcos Diaz, if this guy turns out to be legit, um, you know, that that is a massive, massive uh, plus for the team if they're able to get a surefire starter uh, to help them years down the road. And uh, let me just plug right now our interview with Remy Roy uh, from this past Wednesday. If you've not listened, please go back and check that out. Uh, we had a lot of uh, very interesting conversation about uh, the Revolution Scouting Department, uh, their newest signings, et cetera, et cetera, and Revs 2, uh, and how that's impacted the Revs and, and their focus. So please go check that out right now. So uh, had to plug that real quick. If you haven't listened, please go back and make sure you do. Uh, let's get back to the disappointing first team here, Tanner. Uh, Randy says the 3-5-2 was nerve-wracking at times, but definitely seemed to help us offensively. Could that be a solution for us while we wait for Bo and Barrero to take the field? Uh, and then he also adds, assuming Bruce can get over his desire to shoot the team in the foot by playing Omar Gonzalez. Uh, everyone taking shots at Omar Gonzalez tonight, uh, probably rightfully so. But, uh, Tanner, what are your thoughts on the 3-5-2, and do you think that could be a solution for the Revs long-term? Yeah, just circling back to Revs too, though, quickly. Uh, Noel Buck was Noel Buck was another player um, that came through Revs Academy, Revs two signing, and then homegrown signing. Um, Sorry, Noel, forgot about Noel. But yes, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. And Colin for Well, no, never mind. But uh, Noel Buck, Noel Buck. <laughs> yes, that's true as well. Um, Sorry, what was the question again? I just uh, spaced out on that. <laughs> <laughs> we had so much. We had so much fun talking about uh, Noel Buck. Uh, 
The 3-5-2 was nerve-wracking at time, but seems to help us offensively. Could this be a solution for us while we wait for Bo and Barrero to return? I mean, if Buck returns next weekend, you don't have to wait at all. But Bo, Bo returns. Yeah, so if Bo returns... I, I, the formation was great when you're chasing, right? When you're chasing a goal, I think it worked really well. I think if Bo Tang's on the field and you can have Jones on the other side, that's great, like you mentioned. Um, it's not a formation I would probably... De- ploy often but it depends on the matchup it depends on where you are in the game i think it was effective enough they scored two goals they were ineffective for the entirety of the game other than that moment so maybe if you face a team that is going to put numbers behind the ball and basically park the bus on you maybe you deploy that formation to try to uh combat it um i don't know i I think four man is the way to go i think long term that's how you're going to play and so i I don't think you want to make that significant of a formation change but i do think offensively as you say when you're pushing for a goal and you want to go into ultra attacking mode um taking out a center back and putting one more body uh up the field uh is is definitely going to be a positive so i bet we see that more in late game situations when they're pushing up um i'm not totally sure if i trust the 352 completely yet to maybe start a game with it uh maybe it depends on the opponent maybe if we have an inferior opponent at home or something like that uh but yeah and, and as you mentioned too it's a very good point Gustavo Bo might be back next week. Uh, Bruce Arena said in a press conference earlier this week uh, that he was not going to play tonight, but he is about a week away. So I don't think we're going to see, maybe we won't see him start. I feel like they would ease him in. There's usually an easing in game uh, and then maybe a start. It seems like that's how Bruce Arena has been playing it in recent years. Um, but yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't think we'll see the 3 5 2, but uh, maybe. Maybe. Uh, Eric also says, what do we think of by Polster Kessler back three? Surreal saying uh, Brandon and Dwan on the same side. I guess it worked. Uh, he also says, uh, Carla's ripping off the captain's armband and throwing it to the ground at the final whistle was hard to watch. That locker room can't be fun right now, uh, which I didn't see. Uh, we talked about the three in my back line, but I wanted to get at this question because I didn't see Carlos Hill uh, ripping off the captain's armband, but he certainly seems frustrated. Andrew Farrell seemed very frustrated after the first goal, which I thought was interesting because uh as charlie davis pointed out uh he probably was responsible for it um seems like this team is getting a little bit chippier uh and a little bit more and more frustrated uh any, any thoughts on that tanner I, I i don't know if you saw carl's heel throwing it to the, the armband to the ground but uh seems like there is uh trouble in paradise i didn't see that personally um but you know we've seen the frustration right we've seen it going on over a month now we saw it against Charlotte, we see it, you know, Carlos Seal was it yelling at Bruce on the sideline a couple weeks back. And you've seen the frustration. And you know, this is a team that won the Supporters' Shield, returned primarily all of those players, had a few key additions, thought they were going to compete for Champions League, thought they were going to compete for MLS Cup. And the reality is they're 3-5-2. and two. So I think that's hard to fathom for them. But I think the reality is tonight, yes, you can be frustrated. You were down at home came back, scored two goals, then conceded you know, your eighth semi, uh, final 15th minute goal of the year. So it's rough. But at the end of the day, you got a point. So I think there's it, it a lot to be frustrated about, but I think you know there's also a lot to be positive about as well. Um, so I think you see the frustration on the players, but it's up to Bruce Arena and the coaching staff to, to really drill it in their head and say, the season's not over. You guys got a point. You came back in this game. You showed some positives, right? It's about coaching them up and I think building that confidence in them. And seeing the frustration, it's rough to see, but I I don't think it's going to help anybody. I don't think being frustrated helps you 
I think it just sort of spirals out of control and that frustration builds and it turns into anger and maybe you don't play as well for the coach because you're angry about it. So I, I don't know if I don't like to see frustration of players. I get it's frustrating, but you kind of have to move on from that and try to focus on the positives and building upon those positives to then try to win a soccer game. Yeah, and I know Taylor Twelman kind of hinted at some uh, locker room drama, to say the least. Um, I don't know how much I'm buying that completely. I, I certainly think, too, that there are competitors in that locker room and they want to win, uh, but I don't think it's uh, toxic. Uh, I don't think it's at that point just yet. Uh, I think Carlos Hill is a, a very passionate player who, who you know, wears his emotions on his sleeve. Uh, so, yeah, I... I I just definitely, you can sense the frustration and the anger and, uh, you know, they all know what's going on. They all know things are kind of going sideways right now, but, uh, I think this is going to be a really interesting season for Bruce arena, because even though tactically he's not the best coach, he is a very good man manager, uh, and he is able to get the best out of his players. And, um, you know, that's important, not just when you are, you know, winning the supporter shield, but, um, you know, that comes into play when you have a team that is underachieving, uh, and he's had teams that underachieved before, but, um, if he can turn this ship around, which I, you know, he, he could, he could, it's still may, um, you know, we weren't asked about if, uh, where we are on the panic button scale. Uh, I think I'm still around a six, six, five, uh, which is where I've been the last month or so. Uh, but there's still a lot of season left. And I don't think this team is going to be winning supporter shield for sure. They are, you know, sitting in 11th place right now with 11 points through 10 games. They're 10 games off or 10 points off from Philadelphia. Who's currently winning right now. Um, but you know, they're three points out from a playoff spot. Um, you know, there is still time to move up this table. There is still time to at least make the playoffs, maybe get a home game in the playoffs. Um, you know, it just takes a, a good winning streak, an anti-summer slump to really turn things around. Uh, so this is going to be a very interesting season for Bruce Arena because I think if Bruce Arena is as great as he says he is in terms of managing people and man, you know being a man manager and being a locker room coach, um, uh, he, he's going to find a way to get this ship turned around. Uh, I don't know if he's going to do it, but you know his reputation is uh, he can get the best out of players, and I, I think he certainly has a very interesting job for the rest of the season. Yeah, look, you know. Bruce has done it in his career. Uh, obviously, it's later in his career. Is he over the hill? Is he, you know, there's a, obviously questions you have to ask, but this team was the best in Major League Soccer last year, and I think they've had a lot of rough luck this year, uh, whether it be player availability due to injury. Um, I think they might have underestimated the contributions of Tajan Buchanan and how hard it would be to replace him. Um, but I, I think it's tough to really get too onto this team. It's... I know we're 10 games in, they have 11 points, but you know, the talent's there. Um, you know, and Bruce Arena's a good coach. He has a long track record and still a lot of, a lot of the season to play. Um, you know, I covered the 2019 team, obviously. I, I saw the lows of the lows at the end of the Brad Friedel era. Um, this is better than that. I mean, there's been some moments that have been rough, but, you know, this team's going to turn it around. If you look at... So far, they're you know averaging I think it's like 1.1 points per game or something like that. Um, you know this team's going to do better than that, and it's still compact. It's still compact point in the standings. I think they'll be fine. I really do. Um, I think they're too good not to be. I think the only way this goes really downhill is if, I mean, I guess there's in theory a situation in which they underachieve the summer when transfer window comes and add a big answer. Uh, 
offer for Adam Buxa comes in. But I, I think this is the window. I, I think the Revs know that, you know, Carlos Hill and Gustavo Bo aren't getting younger. They're not young pieces that you are looking to build around for a team, you know, two, three years down the road. Your window is now. Uh, so I can't imagine a sell-off happening. I think they're going to reload and they're going to try to get creative in the summer transfer window. I said that last year, though. I said they were going to make some additions in the summer transfer window, and they didn't. So um, who knows? But uh, I agree with everything you said there. Um, I, I think if you want to say last season they were a little bit lucky, I think you also have to kind of look at this team this year and say they're, they've been pretty unlucky. So uh, we'll, we'll see where it goes. But we did get one more question here. Uh, they're not, they're going to kind of disagree with this year. But Wep Smiles says, terrible performance this season. If this continues, they need to cut ties with Bruce Arena and Revs Prez. Five losses that ties last seasons and two losses away from two seasons ago. Unacceptable. Uh, I will say the results are bad. Um, you know, if you're just looking at the results, it's not good. Uh, this team hasn't been good enough. Uh, not just for the expectations coming into the season as one of the favorites for, for MLS Cup, but um, just in general for for a team with this amount of talent, the results are not good enough. Uh, and I, I think that's fair. With that said, you know, I've seen people say the Revs need to act like the other teams in Boston, like the big four teams. Uh, they need to be treated like one of those teams. They need to man better. Uh, I can't think of a single time the Red Sox, the Patriots, the Bruins, the Celtics ever fired a coach 10 to 12 games after winning coach of the year the previous season. Uh, I can't ever remember a time one of the big four teams fired a coach after giving him a multi-year contract extension. Um, I, I, you know, I, I reread an article from the athletic earlier this week uh, and I, I forgot about this point, uh, but it was a survey of all the uh, GMs or the sporting directors of clubs. And they, they surveyed who's the best, this, who's the worst, this, who's the best, this, who's the worst, this. And they said, who's the best coach? And, and Bruce Arena won the most. Eight people said Bruce Arena. Uh, you know, he, he is a good coach. Uh, he's, you know, gotten some rope. Uh, and certainly this season has not been good enough. Uh, but we've gotten a couple of Bruce out comments so far. Um, I, I cannot envision a scenario unless the revolution go on some absurd losing streak uh, where Bruce Arena is fired this season. Uh, I think the, the, the in theory, if we want to play this hypothetical game, Maybe there's a ridiculously long losing streak and they finish in last place and Bruce Arena steps aside, uh, but but he has to kind of agree to that. Uh, I, I don't see any situation in which Robert Kraft uh, kind of uproots his team uh, and removes uh, uh, Bruce Arena. And I don't think uh, Brian Bellello, um has anything to do with the results. Uh, he's on the business side of things. Um, I, I think if you want to criticize him uh, for not building a stadium or something of that effect, uh, you probably can. But uh, the results, uh, I think, are completely on the sporting director side, which is falls at the feet of Bruce Arena. So, uh, Tanner, I know I went on a long rant there. I just kind of wanted to nip the Bruce out uh, comments in the bud uh, just because uh, I think uh, it's a little bit of an overreaction. But uh, do you have anything to add to that? They made the playoffs three straight years. Bruce Arena, you know, is the best coach in Major League Soccer history. Winning his coach in Major League Soccer history. And when he took this job, he took ownership of everything on the sporting side. So it all lies at the feet of him. And I think he'd be the first to take ownership of that. Um, I, I don't think it's acceptable the way they've started this year. I think you have to expect more out of this franchise, especially with what they did last year, with the investment that ownership has put into this team on the sporting side, uh, not on the stadium side, but on the sporting side. They put a lot of investment behind this team. So I, I think you have to expect better. I think. The frustration you see on the players' faces, I think what you hear out of Bruce Arena, they expect better out of themselves, and you have to let them play it out. And to be honest, I don't think Bruce Arena is ever going to be fired by Robert Kraft. I think it's 
it's going to be Bruce deciding to leave. I don't think it's going to be the other way around because um, he's the game changer for this franchise. If you tell Bruce Arena to go or if he leaves, who do you replace him with? You know, you'd have, it's just there's a lot of questions. You'd have to replace him with a new sporting director and a new head coach. And finding a good one in Major League Soccer is hard. It's incredibly difficult because you have to find someone that has an in-depth knowledge of this league. It's very difficult to coach in Major League Soccer. So uh, anyone calling for Bruce's job, like just take a step back and realize what your other alternatives are. Mm. Well, and, and to be fair, uh, this comment says, if this continues. So maybe if we go a full season and we end up with 1.1 point per game, you know, it's a little more reasonable. I still don't think it's happening. Um, I, as you said, I don't think Robert Kraft will ever fire Bruce Arena. Uh, and, and the other thing, too, is, you know, this isn't just like Brad Friedel. You know, Brad Friedel or, or Jay Heaps, you know, um, or, or any other coach previous, you know, they worked with a GM. They reported to a GM. Um, you know, they could be replaced with a different coach quite easily. Bruce Arena, I mean, who are you replacing Bruce Arena with within the revolution? Curtin Alfo, he's a Bruce guy. Dave Vandenberg, he's a Bruce guy. Shalry Joseph, he was brought in by – he was welcomed back to the organization by, by Bruce Arena. All these guys are Bruce guys. If you fire Bruce, they're going to go. They're going to go, go with him. And I'll go a step further. You know, Bruce Arena took this job because he knew ownership was going to put investment into the team. And they were willing to open up the checkbook for him. Bruce Arena has the funds he needs to put a competitive roster on the field. The crafts are allowing him to do that. Will they trust someone else to come in, a sporting director and a coach to come in and do that same level of investment that they've given Bruce Arena? Because Bruce Arena demanded their respect, and he has their respect. And they allowed him to spend money and to bring in players. Prior to him coming in, this team was very frugal. And you look at Brad Friedel, you look at Jay Heaps and the amount of money they had on their team and the underinvestment in those teams. And you, you have to feel bad for those coaches because I don't think they were put in the best position. But Bruce Arena has the checkbook. He has the roster he wanted. And I think if you bring in another person to take that job, I don't know if they would necessarily have that. Yeah, yeah. It, it's not a coaching change. It's a regime change. And yeah. uh, I, I'd be worried that Robert Kraft would say, you know what? We didn't, we didn't, this, the Bruce Arena experience didn't work out. We're going to revert back to what we were doing before. Um, that's what I'm concerned about. Yep. Um, cause, cause who else, you know, who, who else, you know, uh, Bob Bradley, Caleb Porter. I, I, I don't know. I don't know who, who else would get, uh, Robert Kraft's attention, but anyway, we're going to, we're going to step out. And again, I, I, I uh, this comment specifically says, if this continue, uh, continues, if this trend continues, uh, people need to be held responsible. Again, uh, I, I think that you know we're we're a long way from Bruce Arena being anywhere close to the hot seat. Uh, but uh, and the other thing I want to highlight too is these these results are unacceptable. Uh, I don't want to excuse Bruce Arena's performance so far. He was great last year, coach of the year last year. Um, been bad this year. Uh, the results are bad this year. Uh, they need to get better. So I, I do want to say uh, half of that comment spot on. Uh, but again, I, I think we want to be a little careful when we're talking about uh, people getting laid off uh, and fired. Uh, Tanner. Um, actually, uh, I want to touch on something before we go. Uh, we'll get into final thoughts. Uh, the Midnight Riders are doing their Clean Sheets for Clean Sheets initiative again. We will leave that in the uh, show notes. Uh, they did this last year, basically going to uh, the Massachusetts Coalition of the Homeless uh, for a Bed for Every Child initiative. Uh, they did this in 2021. Last year, they raised over $5,000. So again, we will leave the links in the show notes. Tanner, anything you want to touch on before we leave here today? Look on the bright side of things that could be worse. <laughs> uh yes it could be worse and hopefully it doesn't uh moment they they two games in a row two games in a row they've gotten points uh and we have a u.s open cup game oh you know what another positive 
maybe a Twitter Spaces, post-game Twitter Spaces, uh, following the FC Cincinnati game. Uh, Chris and I will be doing one of those. It's a week weeknight game. Uh, we typically do a Twitter Spaces. So uh, if you're on Twitter, if you want to join the show, uh, make sure you set a reminder to join us post-game Wednesday for the U.S. Open Cup uh, FC Cincinnati game. Um, boy, I, I really hope we got a win for that one. That is going to be wild. Uh, there are going to be some very frustrated people on that call uh, if it does not turn out to be a win. So, uh, Tanner, where can people follow you on social media? They can follow me on Twitter at Tanner Robello. And make sure you also follow the Trifecta Network as well on Twitter. Can you give out your uh, handle for that? Yeah, at Trifecta RI. Okay. And you're on Facebook as well, so make sure you check that out. Uh, as I say, Tanner, great work with Revs2. Uh, if you're interested in Revs2 uh, or just his Revs coverage in general, he does a great notebook uh, weekly, great coverage of the revolution, uh, one of the few guys that covers them week in and week out, so make sure you follow Tanner on social media. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at the Revolution at Revolution Recap. You can follow our Revolution Recap Instagram and Facebook pages. Uh, be sure to also follow our friends at The Bent Musket at The Bent Musket. Make sure you follow their work online at www.thebentmusket.com for year-round coverage. Uh, Tanner and The Bent Musket, two of the only outlets that cover the revs year-round. Make sure you support our local journalists and local beat guys. Uh, and also, please make sure to follow our friends at The Rebellion, uh, at The Rebellion on Twitter, and go to anyrebellion.org to learn more about them. Uh, and also, please check out our sponsor, Galasso Kits, and use our promo code REVSRECAP for 15% off your order. That is at Galasso Kits uh, or GalassoKits.com. And be sure to follow them on Instagram. As I say, uh, they, they do their updated inventory every single week. So when they get something new, you'll be the first to know if you follow them on social media. Uh, please make sure you are subscribed on iTunes or wherever you're listening and rate us, rate and review us five stars. Uh, it helps people who are looking for revolution content find it. And uh, if you would like to support us further, you can please support us at patreon.com slash revolution recap uh, and make a monthly donation for as little as $1 a month. Uh, every dollar that this uh, podcast raises goes back into uh, funding it and our fees uh, and keeping this thing going. So thank you so much to our patrons who have been supporting us. Uh, we will be back uh, when uh, Wednesday, FC Cincinnati Open Cup game, Twitter spaces, question mark. I'm pretty confident Chris can do that. So I will let you guys know. Uh, be on the lookout for that. Until then, everyone, thank you all for listening and go Rebs. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.